Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have my phenomenal co-host with me, Gina Warfel. She is an earthly angel and like fairy. So if you know her, you just love her. <laughs> Welcome, Gina. I miss That's you. That's true. I, I miss you. I thoroughly enjoy my podcast with Jared and I miss you. You know what I mean? Like I have, I wish I could have, <laughs> you know, I'm very needy. Let's I'm very needy. Let's, let's talk about that. It's, it's that, so, that feminine energy. It really is. It's funny yeah. because I tell Gina, I'm like, I try not to be, needy but I am and I occasionally tell her and I'm like you need to warn me when you go out of town just so that I know you're going to be like it's not that I'm needy but I am a little bit <laughs> I love it when you're needy I love our codependent relationship I know it's great it's a great relationship but we have on the podcast today Abe Albaba and what he does is so mind-blowing and so amazing and I know that I'm going to slay it but Gina and Abe have a working relationship and I know Abe you have worked with Gina with her Conquering Cravings courses in the past and what you do is so it's so niche and it's so mind-blowing and so Gina I kind of want you to introduce Abe because I don't want to slay it I feel like he's like this wizard in, like, in this world that I don't know and understand. So, <laughs> I think Abe is like the world's hidden gem. And when I, I believe it, I started learning about what he does. And I just thought Abe was a trainer because I saw him working with people, training people. And I'm like, cool, Abe's a trainer. And then he starts telling me about how he incorporates neuroscience and his love and deep knowledge around neuroscience. I was actually hosting an event in San Diego and I was like, oh, Abe, yeah. you've got to be a guest speaker here. Can you show people like the power of neuroscience in immediately like influencing their bodies? And he was like, yeah, I got this. And so he's bringing people up from the crowd and like having them rate like you could see real time they're doing their mobility. One guy was like, he'd bend over and try to touch his toes. And then Abe had him just look in different directions. And then he did it again. And it was like, right before our eyes, we watched this guy's movement, his ability to like touch his toes in instantly change. And I'm like, what? That's crazy. This guy's a wizard. Mm -hmm. And so I started talking to Abe. I'm like, what is it? What is it that you do? And he's like, well, different areas of our brain influence our body differently. And if you can influence your brain and your nervous system, your body's going to perform differently. And so I'm like, wow, does that work with cravings? Like, what does that work with? And so I've seen Abe instantly take away people's pain, improve the way that their body moves, influence these areas of the brain that regulate appetite, which is what we're going to dive into today. Abe was also a guest speaker for us for Mastering Blood Sugar, if he did Mastering Blood Sugar. And he had us, we'll go into this more, but just, I was so blown away and impressed by him because I had this pain in my neck, which I, like my whole life, I've had like this chronic neck pain. So I always have tightness in my neck. And in Mastering Blood Sugar, he's like, find a pain in your body. And I'm like, oh yeah, I feel a pain in my neck. It's like a seven out of 10. And he had us do some simple eye movements and like some very simple movements with our hand. And within about 60 seconds, my pain was 
pretty much non-existent, maybe a one or maybe a two. That's crazy. Yeah, that's I was mind, so blowing. mind blown. I'm like, there is something that you have that the world doesn't actually really hasn't really seen and experienced the way that you can immediately. I don't know what it is. I don't know if activating the nervous system is the right thing. We could dive into it, but influencing the nervous system, the brain connection where it, it affects people's pain levels, their nervous system response, their cravings, their hunger, their appetite. I was just blown away. And Abe is incredible. He published a book called Fuel Your Performance, which is so cool to watch the creation of that. He's the CEO of 3-in-1 Elite, where he works with professional athletes, really optimizing their performance. And I think today we're going to just talk about how Abe brings in neuroscience and how the brain influences our cravings, our appetite, and healing. And before we go into that, Gina, you are teaching a Conquering Cravings course, and Abe is going to be teaching one of those classes. Is is that correct? Do you want to just tell listeners when that class starts, the details around that? And then Abe, I want to give the stage over to you and just hear all the details about you and how you got into this wizardry because it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, So conquering cravings. It's so fun. We do this once a year. So we get this like really fun live opportunity to learn about how do cravings work and how do we work with that system of our body and tame those cravings. And so conquering cravings starts November 7th. I believe, yeah, November 7th is the first class and Abe's going to be teaching the third class where he's going to just show us these drills, how to, well, Abe's going to explain it better, but I think influence these areas of our brain that directly regulate our hunger and cravings. That's so so cool. That's so cool. Look for the show notes. Look at the show notes for details on that and how to sign up. How do people sign up? MyGutsyHealth.com forward slash conquer dash cravings. Conquer dash cravings. Thank you, Gina. Abe, welcome to the podcast. Tell us everything about you. How did you get into this like wizardry world? Explain it to us muggles, please. Yeah, well, well, thanks so much for having me. And it's funny, Gina's talking about her neck pain. I had just did a podcast on the neuroscience of pain. And I was sitting there and I was sitting on my couch, you know, having a just winding down from the day. And then I stood up and I had like nine out of 10 pain on my hip. Mm. It was it was wild. Like I was like, man, this sucks. I couldn't even walk. And I kind of just started laughing. I was like, oh my God, just went into the neuroscience of this and it's happening to me right now. Uh So I sit back down, I stand back up, try to walk, not happening. Sit back down. I was like, okay, what has been going on in my life that's different? Mm. Oh, I've been doing more virtual sessions, which means my eyesight has been more focused on this screen versus far distance, three-dimensional world. So I was like, let me do a far distance eye drill. Bam, did that, got up, zero pain. Stop it. All gone. Stop it right now. This (laughs) is insane. (laughs) Okay, how long did it take you to learn? Okay, I want to hear your whole life story and like how you got into this. Why isn't everyone doing this? Like if everyone, if every chiropractic office had you, if every clinic had you, they would all go out of business. How did this come into your world and your life? Right. So I, I got to tip my hat all to the Z Health curriculum. And we have a saying, if, if we had about 10,000 certified professionals, we would change the world. Absolutely. I believe that. Um, so that's kind of what, what I'm after. But basically, my background is sports. I did football, wrestling, lacrosse in high school, and then had some kickboxing and boxing fights. But 
from there, I started to learn, oh, there's a major on exercising? Cool. Sign me up. So that's kind of what I did. And then I moved out to San Diego to learn from the best in that realm. And then randomly at one of the gyms I was at, a guy was doing vision drills, one of the trainers. I was like, what are you doing? That's weird, but I'm intrigued. And he started telling me about the curriculum, Z Health. And then fast forward, that was 2014. Fast forward, I've done almost the whole curriculum. I have one more course left. There's a 10, 10 of the 11. So, uh, and it's like $30,000 later, <laughs> but well worth it. I mean, it's, it's amazing, amazing course. So you start to learn like there's different courses on the neurology of pain, how to move speed, literally everything sustenance and spirit, which is like the nutrition course mm -hmm. where we'll kind of dive a lot more into that. So that's kind of what we've been doing. And uh, with that, I've had insane results with clients. Um, some of my more drastic uh, changes has been, I had a kid, he had brain AVM, which honestly, I didn't even know what brain AVM was. So I had to go like Google it. What is it? Like, it's a lack of supply to the brain through the atrial. It's a malformation of, of the vein that's taking blood to the brain. Wow. Wow. So this put him, the, the family was so desperate that they did a surgery where it left him in a uh, wheelchair. Mm. So he was so debilitated. He was in this wheelchair for two and a half years and they were kind of like, I was like last resort. So anyway, start doing some stuff and by our fifth session, he didn't bring his wheelchair. What? Since. Oh my God. <laughs> This and is insane. It's so dumb, stupid. It was like sensory work on the spine. Yeah, it was wild. It was like sensory work on the spine, some movement on the hands because the hands and wrists communicate with the feet and some vertical eye movements and boom. And he still doesn't have a wheelchair. I see pictures. Holy <laughs> so cow. That's so, amazing. Uh, this stuff's very powerful. One, one other one, there was a lady from she got a blood clot in her left eye was left blind in her left eye five doctors told her you won't be able to see sorry she sees me i get her seeing our first session fast forward a couple of weeks she's doing everything and we literally have an x-ray of before and after on her eye changing amazing so this stuff's really really powerful this feels like the new so, chiropractic you know what i mean yeah like, i feel like i'm wow. i'm where I feel like I'm where chiropractic was 30, 40 years ago, mm -hmm. where it was like, what are you doing, dude? You're cracking spines like you weirdo. Yeah. And now it's totally socially accepted. So, you know, when I'm back at the gym doing tongue drills, vision drills, <laughs> breathing drills with mm -hmm. clients, like I got, you know, some, some weird stares, but <laughs> there's a reason I've for never, all of that. I've also never seen a health modality that can get such powerful results. So fast. It's, it's kind of like chiropractic, right? Where you get an adjustment and you immediately feel better. It's insane how you can do these drills and immediately influence somebody's health. It's incredible. Right. That just shows uh, how fast the nervous system is and how fast it responds to stimulus. So, but without further ado, I'll kind of go into the neurology of I this. I love that. I call it, yeah. I like call give it us a 101. I would love yeah. this. I'm so like on the edge of my chair, just wanting to learn about this now. Like, <laughs> I love Give it, it to us. <laughs> And once you start learning this, you can apply this to everyday life and start to figure out why something you may do may or may not work. Mm -hmm. So all day, every day, your brain is getting an input or information based on that input. It interprets it, makes a decision on what to do with it, signaling an output. 
Now its number one priority is answering that question. Am I going to survive? Is it safe? That's our brain's number one job. You can think of it like this. So imagine your brain and body is a car and that car constantly needs to know what's going on internally. Is it running correctly? And if not, it turns on that check engine light. The driver doesn't know why it's on, but they definitely don't feel safe. They're stressed. And as a result, they're driving cautiously and slowly. Mm. So the question is, is why is that light on? Maybe there's a problem with the engine. Maybe it's electrical. Maybe it's so simple that you just forgot to screw the gas cap on at the gas station. And that's why that light's on. You see, all of these are examples of input or information the car needs to run smoothly and safely. If you don't address that check engine light, it will always stay on. The end result, you don't feel safe. You're stressed. You're driving slow. And we can relate it back to cravings. You can relate it back to increased pain levels, weight gain, whatever it is. So what I do necessarily is provide your brain with good, credible evidence or information or input to feel safe. If not, we're in that chronic warning state and that's what we don't want. Check engine light, if it's chronically on, that's like chronic stress. And you're like the mechanic that turns off the check engine light. You're creating the safety. Hey, everything is good inside the body. And being that mechanic, you have to know what to look for. So you need to know what input systems are important to the brain. So The way I look at it, we broke it up into three different things. So you got your extraception. That's your body's awareness to monitor the external environment through our senses, seeing, balancing, smelling. I think of this as like your car needs to know, is it snowing or raining outside? Based on that, I can drive safe or not. And vision alone is 150 million neural signals every second. So that's why it's like super powerful, uh, some of these vision drills. Because if there is a hierarchy, vision is at the top. Like your vision is scanning the environment to see if there's like a threat. That's what you're saying is your vision is looking for danger and receiving that information. And so you use the vision as one of your tools to balance out that stress response. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So again, if we're wired to survive and I need to run away from the bear, I need to judge how far away that bear is. If my eyesight is not good at judging far distance because we're living in these screens that are right in front of us, then I'm going to have a perceived higher threat. I don't know how Mm -hmm. far that bear is. It's coming after me. Ah, run. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that's one example. That's the extraception. Proprioception is where your body is in space, how well your joint moves. So that's like, I'm going to keep going back to the car analogy. Your car needs to know where it is in relation to other cars to maneuver around, right? So our joints moving is 9 to 30 million uh, neural signals every second. So very vital information as well. So if your joints are not moving well, that's kind of an internal signal to your body. Hey, there's a threat here. We're not actually moving very well. That's a a threat stress that that could turn the warning light on in your body. Yeah, right. So I'll, I'll keep going to the bear. <laughs> so if that bear is coming at me and I decide to run, all right, my joints need to be nice and mobile and know how to run away. Mm. If they're not, I'm going to be slower. So my perceived threat is even higher. That bear is coming at me and I'm, I'm going to get eaten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so movement is another good way to improve safety. And then the third one's interoception. That's really what, what we discuss with the gut. That's everything going on in our gut all the organs that keep us alive. That's your digestion, your autonomics, your heart rate, your blood pressure. And breathing alone is a 25,000 breaths a day. 
This is like the car's engine performance. Mm -hmm. So, and I know Gina mentions in her course about subconscious and the subconscious. These are systems that are happening all day, every day, subconsciously. So when we influence these systems, we're creating change subconsciously and decreasing threat, increasing safety. So, so yeah. all these processes are happening like behind the scenes and we're not even aware of it. And we're just right. like, oh, it's my willpower when I grab, when I impulsively grab the cookie. But really your body is like taking all this information. And there's all this behind the scenes work of like, am I safe or not? Yeah. So it's like, all right, based on all the information I got, check engine light on or off safety or not mm -hmm. high stress low stress so that input is super vital so that's kind of what i do can i talk I, about I'm, proprioception I'm, really quick i want to go back to that yeah. second one so because you're saying movement helps take the the check engine light off but when people yeah. are exercising and they're hurting their muscles and they're hurting their joints is it improper movement right so there's pro <laughs> right. is, so is there improper and then there's proper movement because I feel like we're all doing it wrong then <laughs> because like the harder people go at the gym, the more achy they are. I used to be a neurostructural massage therapist back in my previous oh, life. Nice. Like the people that worked out hard at the gym, they were always like my worst clients because they were just so stiff and sore all the time. And so yeah. what's the difference? What movements turn that check engine light on and what movements turn that off? Yeah, excellent question. So proprioception is more about your awareness in space. Mm. So that's how well you move the joint and create space in the joint. For your example, if someone that works out all the time, they're probably not recovering enough and or not doing proper warm up. So mm. when I say proprioception, we're thinking about creating space in joints. I'll use my wrists as an example. So I can warm up my wrist by really creating space in that wrist, doing the Mr. Miyagi dance here mm -hmm. that I do. So these are different things that you could do before your workout. So I have an app for a workout program, and we spend a good amount of time warming up and creating a ton of space within those joints before your workouts. Because immobile joints equal weak muscles. There's other parts to that equation, right? Are they recovering from their workouts, from nutrition? Do they have poor sleep? Are they adding stress, like they have a super stressful job? Plus, they're going to the work, doing a workout that's killing their body. So there's different workouts that are less threatening than others. I'll give you one example. So doing Olympic lifting. So you heard of CrossFit, like doing a barbell power cleans, like a big complicated movement with a lot of weight mm -hmm. is very threatening. Mm. Um, so something less threatening is doing maybe a single arm, single legged exercise that's isometric. So just like holding it and flexing and contracting. So whenever I see people, I'm like, hey, where's their life at? Can I go into this bubble of high threat with exercises? Mm -hmm. Are they ready for that? Or mm, maybe I need to stay over here in the low threat. Very so. cool. Can we talk <laughs> about the, okay, so there's the proprioception and then you, what was the third one that you spoke about? The interoception. Interoception. Let's interoception. Like, intero, because that's like stomach, that. right? The enteric yeah, nervous system. everything going on in the gut, yeah. Can we deep dive that and talk about that one? Because yes. I assume that has to do with cravings, that has to do with food stuff, that has to do with a lot of what we talk about, gut issues. A hundred percent. Right before that, though, so we, we got to think of this input equaling output. And output, again, that's what we care about. That's decreasing cravings, decreasing stress. Now, when I say stress, we think of relationship, family, work, and 
that probably, uh, I'll take this water bottle, put all that in there, right? So that's probably already filling up. But our inputs through interoception, through vision, through proprioception, that can either add to this stress or decrease the stress. So I want it all to come back to decreasing stress by giving the body and brain better input. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. All right. Awesome. So then we can go into like more of the neurology of eating and nutrition and how that all works. Now, before I get to interoception, I got to set you up with other cortices. (laughs) So we got the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. Okay. What lives in there? What I want you to really get out of this is your, what that's doing. It's part of your risk and fear processing. So fear, we're thinking amygdala, right? So it's, we have this, right. And on on the brain. So we have this, like, think of your brain as like, we got a first brain and a second brain. Mm -hmm. Your first brain is like, oh my God, am I going to die? Freaking out, freaking out. Like, is that what they call the lizard brain? It's the lizard brain. brain. It's just like, just keep me alive. Like everything's dangerous. (laughs) We're always in fight or flight. Everything's dangerous. Stay away. Like, am I going to die? Oh my God. Well, and and evolutionarily speaking, that was the part of the brain that developed first. So it's, it makes sense that it's the strongest. It's the most powerful. Like when you go back to baseline, it's always baseline lizard brain. And it takes an enormous amount of energy to uncouple yourself from lizard brain. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. I just wanted to throw that there. That's me up on the next one. So uncoupling your brain from lizard brain is second brain. That's the frontal lobe. That's like, okay, whoa, whoa, man. All right, hold on. Let's look at this logically. Let's think it out. Pump the brakes. Okay, wait, I'm actually safe. This is okay. So when someone is might be overweight or even underweight, their second brain, specifically this prefrontal cortex, maybe not doing its job of risk and fear processing. So which goes back to regulating the, the amygdala. And one of its biggest jobs is inhibiting those emotional responses. So as, as Gina goes deep into why uh, we might increase our cravings based on emotional responses, sad, lonely, or bored are the big ones, or fear, right? That's that prefrontal cortex not doing its job of inhibiting those emotional responses and be like, okay, wait, maybe I just need to like calm down, take a breath, Maybe write out my thoughts, like chill out before I go reach for a bunch of sugar to fix my problem, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what's happening. You're decreasing prefrontal cortex activity. You're increasing the amygdala, which is the fear. And it's just like, let's eat Mm -hmm. (laughs) to fix fix my safety problem. Yeah. So that's that prefrontal cortex. Then there's a bunch of other different parts of the brain, like the cerebellum, that's going to regulate your eating behaviors. It's also helped stop unwanted thoughts. So if you have those negative thoughts in your brain all the time in the background, Gina talks a lot about negative self-talk. Why that might keep happening is cerebellum's not doing its job. Gina, can you give some examples of that for listeners that yeah. might not be able to like connect the dots there? They're like, oh, I don't do that. Like, But they might be doing that. So mm-hmm. what kind of negative self-talk would that be? Oh man. Well, I think that we're just our biggest critic, right? When we like grab food and we're like, oh, why did you do that again? And we get build this frustration because we don't understand what's happening. So we're so hard on ourselves, right? And and then anytime we have that frustration within ourselves or that anger towards ourselves or that negative, like, oh, I knew you were going to do this again. 
right? Mm. You always do this or you have no willpower. You have no strength. You have no discipline. That is part of that subconscious stress. I think that, that Abe is talking about that beating ourselves up. What's cool is I think when you understand the mechanism of what's happening, you kind of stop beating yourself up because it's like, oh, it makes sense. I'm in a stress response. This isn't about me. This actually isn't a an identity piece. This actually isn't who I am. I just need to learn how to create more safety in my body and yeah. regulate my systems. Yeah. And then that, then that voice goes down a little bit. It sounds like. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like, it's like, oh yeah, this is why I always do what I do. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Why would I beat myself up over that? I just need to change up my strategy. Right. Like, and have a more effective strategy like Abe is going to be telling us about. So, okay. I just wanted her to interject yeah. about the cerebellar and the self-negative talk. Abe, keep going. I'm, yeah. I am eating this up. Like, oh my God, <laughs> you are not disappointing on 101 here. <laughs> no, you love it. And then honestly, not till I read Gina's book, i am always been an optimistic person. And I was reading about this negative self-talk and she was giving examples of how people talk to themselves in their head, like you're not good enough, these negative things. And I'm like, what? People talk like that to themselves in their head? Like, yeah, no wonder. Oh my God, you would love my husband because he's the same where (laughs) everything's like just like sunshine and rainbows. He's like, what? (laughs) Other people have negative experiences and say negative things about themselves? Like, don't you think, Gina? He's so much like Ryan. He should be a kindergarten teacher. (laughs) Your husband, husband, Ryan, he should be a, he's like the world's kindergarten teacher. (laughs) Sorry, Abe. Yes, Abe, people do talk about themselves (laughs) negatively all the time. (laughs) Welcome to planet Earth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely learning that. (laughs) Keep going, keep Um, going. I'm just, I'm just teasing. Hey, Gutsy listeners, I want to give a shout out to Cozy Earth once again for always delivering on the softest and most luxurious sheets. You spend a third of your life sleeping, which means you need to make it count as 80% of your healing and repairing happens while you're sleeping. And if you want a temperature regulated, unparalleled comfort Zen Den, Cozy Earth has got you from sheets to pillows and now blankets. It's a no brainer that investing in your sleep is not an indulgence, but an actual necessity. Not only that, but Cozy Earth is providing an exclusive offer to my listeners today, up to 40% off site-wide when you use the code GUTSY. I'm not kidding you. My new husband loves everything North Pole cold and I love everything South African hot. And so these sheets are perfect for the both of us as they are just so comfortable and so regulating. So trust me, Cozy Earth won't let you down with their products. They are phenomenal. Yeah, no, you're good. So then we get into this basal nuclei, which is going to influence, like Gina was talking about, eating behavior and habits. So all of these things influence these habits, food motivation, self-regulation. And what's cool is what we uncover in the class is ways to regulate and influence these parts of the brain to do better jobs like doing a better job of inhibiting. And there's, there's stupid, silly drills, like mm-hmm. honestly, that we do in the course. Cause when they have a craving come on, this is why when I do this drill, I'm up regulating, I'm decreasing that amygdala, that first brain, and I'm increasing that second brain to do its job and say, wait a minute, stop. Let's think about this logically. Let's create instant safety. So I don't need that craving anymore. So then we're going, I'm almost to the interoception <laughs> and the insular <laughs> cortex. So then we get into satiety and also tying in with food motivation as well as the hippocampus. 
And then really cool, what's really cool about the hippocampus is tied into memory. And you could test this with uh, how someone smells. They should be able to identify what they're smelling out of each nostril. Mm -hmm. And that'll tell us uh, how that hippocampus is doing. So if someone cannot remember what they ate for lunch, for breakfast, or how much they ate or whatever, that's actually going to increase and or they're simply going to overeat because they don't remember what they had earlier in the day. That's interesting. <laughs> That's very interesting. Isn't that wow. crazy? And then also to because the brain's always trying to survive like right now, not like five hours from now. So as a way to fix this problem, it actually increases the activation for taste, which makes that individual eat more. It like wants more salty, more sweet, and all these different things. Why would someone forget what they ate though? Just because they're rushing through their day, they're in fight or flight, like just because they're just not present. It's literally memory. Like the poor memory is starting, like, starting like to deteriorate. That is that what that is? Is like the yeah. hippocampus isn't fu functioning well. Yeah. Crazy. And, we keep, and we'll get into like, uh, you know, why that may or may not be. It goes back to head traumas, car accidents, concussions, things like that. Maybe even a sickness that throws off these things in the brain. Now with that, which is really cool, is they found studies that associate right frontal lobe or cortex to be our dietary restraint so we have these different eating primary control mechanisms for eating. One of them is homeostatic. So it's like, I've exerted this amount of energy. And based on that, I need to eat maintaining baseline, right? And then we talk about hedonic. Hedonic is basically the eating behaviors that fool our system. It's like, oh, there's a kid eating an ice cream cone on the sidewalk. I smell it. I see it. And now I'm like, ooh, wow, like I need an ice cream cone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's your hedonic. To override that hedonic, we can drive up right frontal lobe stuff. So that means left complex movements Crazy. to help that individual avoid or have more dietary restraint. That's insane. And then, so you're literally right? just using movement to strengthen different parts of the brain because when there's atrophy in certain parts of the brain, we have cravings, we have, we're not satiated, like we have negative self-talk. And so it's just certain mm -hmm. movements that it's just like, you don't use thoughts to strengthen the brain. You use movement to strengthen the brain. Well, me moving my hand, I could go into this, but that happening is coming from my right brain mm -hmm. and it had to plan the movement. It had to come up with a a plan to execute the movement and then it has to give the plan to the opposite side and make it happen. <laughs> this all crazy. happens in milliseconds. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm like, I'm <laughs> it's, it's mind crazy. blown. It's so cool. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> all right. So then we, so I already mentioned introception. That's everything going on to, into the gut, which highly communicates with our insular cortex. Okay. This communicates to the brain and body how it's doing all the time, especially within the gut, within our autonomics, things like that. And what they're finding is that obesity might be a hypersensitivity to interoceptive input mm. and or a hyposensitivity to interoceptive output. So what I mean by those inputs, that's your stretch receptors on the uh, gut that's working with that hypothalamus to increase satiety or increase hunger, right? 
So it's all based on this input that's going on, uh, you know, from your all the way from the esophagus down to the intestines and how those things feel. So if that's out of whack, either hyper or hyposensitivity, that's going to influence satiety levels and or hunger levels. Wow. That's insane. Uh, I wonder, okay, weird question. And if you don't have an answer, that's okay. But could all this sensory stuff in the enteric nervous system, like you just mentioned here, could that affect microbiome and microbiome activity? Like hundred percent. So you need, you need to feel those things, right? So we have this brain feeding pattern. If you think about neuroanatomy, it goes from the bottom top to front, like mm-hmm. a C. Okay. Okay. And just knowing that it hits, just understand it hits your uh, sensory cortex before the motor cortex. So quite simply, I need to feel things well to move things well. Okay. So without good feelings of how things are going in here and ways we could stimulate that is breathing drills, um, literally wearing more. Um, have you ever seen those waist trimmers that people use to for weight loss? I haven't, but. It's, it's like a corset. Yeah, yeah, like oh. to tighten. Yes, yes. Yeah. So what that actually does is increase heat or awareness of your gut. And that actually could be super helpful in improving things that's going on in there, like microbiome. Interesting. So, okay, question, just because I'm, I'm pregnant, and I'm sorry, I always make podcasts about yeah. myself for a second, but like with no, babies, I've had this theory with babies with tight diapers, they have gut issues, right? And so when they're like, oh, they're spitting up, or is that, could that be accurate if they're, if like, if their diaper is too tight or sometimes they have these like tight elastic bands around their stomach. And that's always felt very wrong to me. And I just wonder like, could that be inhibiting like motor or movement or sensory for like gut health? Yeah. Possibly from the uh, restricted flow. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I don't know about that one, but that would be my guess. I was just curious. That's where my brain (laughs) went. That's interesting. But keep going. Ask my, uh, my niece and nephews. Okay. <laughs> uh, Keep going. So then this introception is heavily influenced with the vagus nerve. Vagus nerve is shooting all the information down to that gut. Mm-hmm. So now we'll go into cranial nerves. So we went into cortices or, or cortex, if people have heard that term. Now we're going into cranial nerves. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so cortex, you meaning nerve. brain, and now nerves, you meaning like spinal cord? Uh, brain stem. Brain stem. Okay. So, yeah. So we got these lobes and then at the base of all of our brain is the brain stem. And we have a right and a left and a, there, there's a lot of other things. There's the midbrain or the mesencephalon. You got the pons and you got the medulla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so people have heard doula from different movies and stuff, <laughs> but lots of stuff happening in there. <laughs> so within these cranial nerves, um, we already talked about one, which is smelling. That's the olfactory which is uh, involved in appetite, indigestion, uh, or ingestion, and taste. Also, you got your trigeminal, so that's your ability to chew. You got your facial, all right? Your facial nerve, you know, all these people doing Botox and stuff, you're, you know, giving that nerve a neurotoxin, which is probably going to influence that person's taste receptors, <laughs> so, um, and then we got glossopharyngeal, which is also involved in taste, but that's also your swallowing, your ability to swallow. And there's, there's muscles in that, in that throat. And then we get to vagus nerve, vagus nerve. It, I mean, it does so much. It's a parasympathetic meaning it's involved in decreasing your stress, that rest, digest, decreasing heart rate, decreasing blood pressure. Also 
is communicates with that insular cortex and the introceptive inputs back and forth with digestion enzymes, with figuring out a meal size, the duration, inflammation. It's involved in decreasing weight, fat, cravings. It increases satiety, energy expenditure, all of these different things. So the way I look at all of this, okay, is if I know these certain things have been influenced, maybe this person had a car accident, maybe they had a uh, concussion, some kind of other traumas, maybe some surgeries, things like that. That gives me all ideas because their health history tells me everything. Mm. And that tells me, oh, maybe this person's vagus nerve is out. Okay, let's go test that thing. And that's kind of what we do in the class. I teach people how to test these different parts and then figure out a drill that influences that part of the brain and see what happens. So the beauty of what I do is, is that I've learned this assess reassess protocol. So if we go back to the input output analogy, if I do something good for my brain, give it input it's been missing and my check engine light goes off, an indication of my check engine light going off is maybe a decreased pain and maybe it's performance. So like with my athletes, maybe they're jumping higher or maybe it's now uh, I can swallow better, things like that. So I do a drill before, see where that person's at before, do the drill, see where they're at after. So if they've significantly improved like Gina and she did that vision drill and then all her neck pain went away, I'm like, all right, that's a stimulus that her brain needs and probably something that she needs to do a couple times a day. Mm-hmm. It, it um, is really interesting, everything that you're saying. It's like what I'm realizing is I was this last summer, I took a certification course in the connection between trauma and binge eating disorders. And Mm -hmm. what they said, I think is you would probably know the anatomy piece better than I do. But what they were saying is that all the information from your gut, all the interoceptive input. Okay. Interoceptive input. So the food that's coming in, Uh the, the nutrients, how much you ate, how many calories, what they were saying is that that then travels, that information travels up your nervous system and I believe it goes through your brainstem and gets processed in your limbic system. And then Where? it reports yeah. to your brain. I've had enough food to eat. I don't need any more. But people who have chronic stress activation, and one of those could be trauma. It could just be a day-to-day stress. It mm-hmm. disconnects that communication between the gut. And so it can't process it in the brain. So is that kind of this, is that the same thing that you're saying? Perfect. That I learned so, Yeah. And more specifically, what, what nerve is carrying those messages? Vagus the nerve. nerve. Yeah, right. Vagus, the vagus nerve, nerve. Okay. right, lives in brainstem, okay, and specifically within the medulla. What's really cool yeah. is uh, you mentioned traumatic brain injuries or any kind of concussions can really inhibit digestion. People with SIBO, like they should really look at their history to see if they've had concussions. But Gina, to what you said, mm-hmm. research has shown that people that have been under chronic stress, they actually have brain damage akin to concussions because of the inflammatory cascade of increased cortisol, which right. increases inflammation that attacks like the dendritic cells, I think in the brain or something like that. And so chronic stress can actually mimic concussion syndrome. Isn't that it's insane? Mm-hmm. So you can have physical blunt mm-hmm. trauma that damages your brain and you can have high cortisol that damages your brain like it was blunt trauma. So which then... You know, learning will- how- 
all the brain is involved in just managing your appetite and how much you eat. Yeah. Now it's like, of, of course, if the brain is under chronic stress or damage or damage because of stress, of course, you're not going to be able to regulate your appetite and how much mm-hmm. you eat. Right. It totally makes sense. Right. It's, this is crazy. Okay. Keep going, Abe. And not only that, a way to fix it, because again, it, it wants to survive, not later now, increase cravings. The brain's like, oh, let's increase cravings as a way to create short-term safety. Mm. Um, That's an important so, I think, bridge that maybe some people miss, right? Is that if you need right. the safety, you're going to get food for a short-term temporary safety. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. and real quick, like is the stimulus of food, let's say the brain is just so depleted and so underactive because it's been, I, I'll put here air quotes, damaged to some extent from trauma and high stress and cortisol or PTSD or something. And so everything's underactive. Are we overeating because we're trying to stimulate a brain that won't be stimulated? Is that what's potentially yeah. happening as well? Exactly. We're real life trying to solve the problem. Mm, That's so interesting. And so you have to fight fire with fire. You can't just use willpower and be like, stop, you know, because your brain is going to crave stimulation. It's going to say, right, it's the master controller. And so it is looking for stimuli to turn it on. Right. And so it's going to make you crave food. Whereas to turn it on, you can use movement. You can use Whatever wizardry it is you do, people can do that. (laughs) Um, I have a quick question because I deal with a lot of chronically ill people in my clinic, Provo Health, and a lot of these people have like Lyme disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, and at the root of that is chronic inflammation and co-infections. So viruses, bacteria that have literally caused their whole body to get sick, especially like their nervous system. And what I keep trying to tell all these people with these uh, infections is like, even when you do the treatments, your brain is still atrophied. So you might have gotten rid of your co-infections. You may have brought down your inflammation, but your brain is still atrophied. It's like, you know, when you break an arm and you put your arm in a cast and then like two months later you take it out and all the muscle is smaller because you didn't engage that arm. You didn't use that muscle. So for people with chronic illness, I try to get them to do like neurofeedback to strengthen their brain. And we're seeing really great results, but it seems like something like you do could help people's brains turn back on again. Is that correct? Where it's just like, it's atrophied so much from chronic illness and inflammation that even though they're better, their brain is still not turned on. And so they think they're still sick. And so you could train them on exercises to be like, nope, your brain is still in fight or flight because it's been atrophied. Let's redirect and strengthen these parts of the brain again. Is that correct? Uh, I, I couldn't have said it any better. That's, that's, that's great. <laughs> that is <laughs> really cool. That's so cool. And even better than that, we could test exactly what parts of the brain aren't doing their job. What? Oh my gosh, yeah. that's amazing. But so what does that <laughs> look like? Technology set up to the brain. He can test what areas of the brain are working without even using a bunch of technology. That's amazing. Oh yeah. There's um I'll never forget I had a lady, she had a severe concussion. Her dream was being able to water her plants, cook and like dreaming about swimming. Mm-hmm. Like walking her dog, all that was like killing her. She was seeing a functional uh, neurologist, chiropractic neurologist, and he got her to the point where she could at least get up out of bed, mm-hmm. but she still couldn't water plants. She couldn't walk her dog. She couldn't cook, dreaming about swimming. 
and he had all the gadgets, $200,000 worth of, of gadgets. She comes in and sees me. I got, I got nothing but like a, a stick, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a couple, a couple other tools. And sure enough, our results were very similar with uh, what she had going on in the brain. But more importantly, she walked out that day in our first session feeling the best she ever felt. Fast forward, I think it was three or four sessions. She was watering her plants, walking Crazy. the dog, and I have a video of her swimming. That's insanity <laughs> to me. That's and yet it's making so much sense. Like this all makes so much sense. Yeah. I'll give I just want to share like last year I was severely ill. I got Epstein Barr, I got long COVID holler syndrome, I got all oh, the man. things and like how I describe it, it's like my brain was literally melting. I wasn't the yeah. person I used to be, right? And so dealing with all this chronic illness, I I probably had Lyme. I've never been tested, but all my symptoms mimic Lyme disease fast forward to this year where I'm starting to feel better and pregnant. But I remember I was in my house and the thought of even just like putting dishes away or just like getting the kids from school was so overwhelming. And I remember in that moment, I'm like, your brain is atrophied. You need to strengthen it. You're not ill anymore. You need to go and do something to strengthen your brain. It's not because the dishes are hard. It's because your brain is weak. And I remember in that moment, I'm like, so what do I do? And like, it hit me. It's like, you need to exercise. And so I was like thinking, I'm like, well, what kind of I don't want to go hard at the gym. And so I signed up for bar classes, you know, like the bar classes. And I'm not kidding you. That's what turned my brain on because it's not intensive. It's very specific. It's not like hard and whatever. And so obviously what you do isn't bar at all, but I kind of like neuro hacked myself back to, Oh, okay. It's not overwhelming to cook food anymore just because I've been going and doing certain types of like, you know, cross body movements and like some certain complex movements in these classes. But obviously what you do, it's not an exercise class. It's just like simple movements with wrists and eyes. And can you give us an example of a movement? Like, can you give us an example of like a dysfunction and what you would have someone do? Yeah, uh, let's back up. In your bar class, do you do isometric, which is like when you hold and pause and feel the muscle? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, then, and then there's like right. a lot of slow movements, an inch down, inch up, inch down, and And there's a lot of small tiny movements and like complex movements and whatnot and so and then there's like weights but it's not like heavy weights because I don't want to stress out my adrenals right so yes there is a lot of like holding but it's not all holding I'd say like 20% holding so you want me to break down what you did yes I would (laughs) love to actually I would love that what was I doing So chronic illness, what you're going to see is insular problems. Insular, just think uh, interoceptive input problems. So your insular cortex is telling your brain how you're doing all the time, including your uh, autonomics and everything going around that gut. So when you do things, interoceptive inputs can involve your muscle fascia and how those muscles feel. So when you connect better with your muscles, you're improving your interoceptive input, which improves your insula, which improves your chronic illness or chronic fatigue. That's crazy. So what I, (laughs) yeah. So what I do is I kind of pinpoint where they're not feeling what muscles and probably specifically abs with that kind of person. Every muscle starts somewhere and ends somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I go through these things called ACMs, which is assisted contractile mapping. Basically, you take the muscle from one end to the other and put it in the most efficient position to shorten the muscle. 
and learn how to fully connect with it and then fully relax it and take it apart. So mm-hmm. you can think of this as contract or flex the muscle hard and then relax and stretch the muscle. And that's developing much more uh, connection with what's going on in those areas. So that's an interoceptive input example. And this is probably, you know, we always say like people that exercise, they live longer, they have healthier brain function and all function. And this is why, because of all this movement, this healthy, well, people that are doing healthy movement, right? There are weightlifters that, and I love that you brought up CrossFit because they were always the worst people to work on. They just damaged themselves. They just damaged themselves so much. They're always in pain. There are people that do functional fitness and they, like my dad, he is 80 and he's still working you know he works in my clinic wow. he's a hyperbaric tech he cycles like That's three amazing. times a week he still does races yeah i think he he biked from i think they call it from saints to sinners so from salt lake to vegas he and his like 80 year old buddies like yes. did a bike ride you know like he's always been active his entire guy. life he's so great i want to be this guy and he always had chocolate next to his bed growing like me growing up if ever i had like a sugar craving i'd just go to my dad's bed and eat some chocolate you know and so yeah. so he wasn't like the best eater but he was always moving and always, he's still alive so he is always moving and exercising and whatnot and so it just makes so much sense abe i know we need to wrap up but you are going to be teaching a class at Conquering Cravings to help people with their cravings, to help them activate and strengthen parts of their brain so that their cravings can immediately come down. If people want to work mm-hmm. with you with other ailments and other issues, do you take one-on-one clients? How do people find more information about you? Give us the whole scoop on how people can contact you and how you work with people. Like, do you work Zoom virtually one-on-one? Do you do groups or classes? And how can they contact you? Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> no, I, uh, I do one-on-ones. Um, I do group, virtual, online, in person, whatever. I, I put together a uh, program where it, uh, I have an app where you'll come and see me. I'll go over your health history. We'll dive into some testing of cranial nerves and different lobes. See where you need the love and relate it back to what you care about, getting out of pain, weight loss, uh, an athlete jumping higher, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. So I give you drills that make you more awesome. So decrease your pain, jump higher, whatever. And then a whole program based on all that. So I sprinkle in. It's like normal training, but very methodically put together with those things like ACMs, where we're learning how to contract the muscle, relax the muscle, vision drills, all these different things to, because we have this saying, we're always, um, no matter who we are, we're all practicing neurology Mm -hmm. directly or indirectly, right? Mm -hmm. So this is just laser focused on not only improving brain, but everything you care about. So I have a whole program on that with nutrition coaching as well, uh, with like little infographics from my book. So yeah, you can reach me at Instagram's good one, um, at Abe, A-B-E underscore A-L underscore Baba, B-A-B-A. And my website is three in one elite.com. That's the number three, the word in eyes and indigo and is in Nancy, the number one elite.com. 
Do you work with kids? Like, do you work with like sensory kids? I'm literally yeah, thinking for funny. my son. I'm just like, I, I want to do all the things for him. <laughs> He's dealt with trauma. It's, it's he has sensory input issues, like all the things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that I, I've been working with a kid and uh, he had visual processing disorder. Mm-hmm. He was working with other specialists and like not really getting much of anywhere. He was a seven year old and I got him doing all these drills best that I could. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, right, we did what you want to do. Now we're going to do what I want to do. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you, you sprinkle it in, you make it fun for the kids. Uh-huh. Yeah, man. He went like from being like lowest in the class to now he's like the best reader in the class. Stop it. He's not getting like super frustrated. I remember in our first couple sessions, I'm like, oh man, today's not a good day. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but now none of that, he doesn't get fully frustrated because that kid, poor kid who's living in that first brain, you know, uh, temper tantrums, just shouting, all that stuff. You know, you give him some vision drills, you can't actually a big one for him. Calming him down was just rubbing his spine, Wow, (laughs) giving him some sensory input on that, on that spinal column. But anyway, and then I shared this story. And little did I know, this is like a huge problem with a lot of kids. So I'm, I've got a lot of kids uh, online right now, young kids, 7, 10, you know, 12-year-olds, and uh, some really cool stuff happening with them. That's amazing. I know we need to, to go in a little bit, so I'll try yeah, out this okay. up. But we, we just recently brought neurofeedback into our clinic, and we're seeing phenomenal yeah. results but that's because it's strengthening the brain it's activating yeah. certain brainwave activities to turn the brain on or to quieten yeah. the brain down a little bit because as you were talking earlier over or under stimulated over processing or under processing right there's like the brain is either in hyperdrive or an atrophy and so we're seeing that a lot in these kids and so when they do neurofeedback it just kind of brings everything back to equilibrium again but people that aren't local or that people it. don't have anything close to them, like neurofeedback, they can work with you. It sounds like, like if their kid yeah. is really struggling, they can do one-on-ones where you're coaching them through different activities. And so that's really, really, really cool. I think what yeah. you do is phenomenal. And, and it, I wish there's more of you. stuff. Yeah. Is it really? It's like, well, how long, how long, let's say like a kid was to do exercises with you and they have to do it every day. Are we thinking five minutes, 10 minutes, twice a day, three times a day? Like what is like an average? Yeah. So they'll meet with me for like, let's say 45 minutes or an hour and we'll pinpoint the drills and I'll give them like homework. And those drills, it's probably about three to maybe six drills. And honestly, start to finish, it's a couple minutes. That's crazy. It's like, okay, you know. Have your, hold your thumb out, pull it in, stare at it all the way in and all the way out for 10 or it's a breathing drill. Or, so it's only a couple minutes, but it, the key is doing it a few times a day. Mm-hmm. So all in all, it's like 10 minutes of your time That's cool. and giving that constant feedback to create neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity, meaning changing your brain for the hopefully in the more healthier direction. That is really, really cool. Abe, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for teaching us all about this. Um, You guys, if you want to reach out to him, uh, all his info, as he said in the podcast, it will also be in the show notes. Follow him on Instagram. Abe, I'm super excited for the Congren Cravings to see what you teach people there. Um, Gina, I feel like this should be a prerequisite for everyone doing the class to be like, hey, listen to this podcast (laughs) so that you know what you're getting into. Obviously, they don't have to. Right. You already have a background idea of like, and then we'll jump right into drills and you'll know. Yeah, actually, I'll send 
I'll send out this podcast to everyone who's already signed up and say, listen to this first. Seriously. Dave's going to do, yeah. do a whole walk us through the drills and then you have the drills to do when you go home. It's going to be epic. That is so cool. Abe, I'm so glad you do what you do because like what a gift you are to the world and how you're helping people is is literally mind blowing. It's it's wizardry. So thanks for breaking, oh, a, a, for breaking it down. Right back at you guys too. <laughs> I know you guys are doing some amazing things as well. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> right, Gina? <laughs> We're all fighting the good fight. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Listeners, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast.